I hope that you have a great Easter. And to have a great Easter, you have to have a chocolate-covered bunny. So I hope there is a chocolate-covered bunny in your future. I hope there's a chocolate-covered bunny in my future, all right? But regardless of whether there is a uh, bunny or not in my future, chocolate will forever be attached to Easter uh, because of my youngest. Her senior year of high school, she worked in what we called a TP Lounge at Ruidoso. It is a cooking program that the school puts on uh, where a meal is prepared each week by the students there, both for the uh, student body and also for the public at a very, very great price. Well, it was close to Easter one particular year, and TP Lounge decided to prepare chocolate-covered strawberries for their dessert, which normally would have been a thrill for Tabitha, but the problem was her youth group was practicing, putting on, trying out Lent. They'd been trying out different faith traditions throughout the year, and because it was Easter time, they were trying out Lent. And because she loves chocolate, she decided to give that up. Now, the purpose for Lent, for those of you who don't know, is pretty much a, a, a time in which you, you give up something. Uh, maybe television, maybe golf, maybe chocolate, but something you give up so that your focus and intensity can be turned on the cross and the resurrection. It's primarily a Catholic tradition, but some uh, Episcopalians and Lutherans and other churches do this as well. So she decided one Easter to give that up. Well, here comes TP Lounge. Here comes my daughter being put in charge of the chocolate-covered strawberries. She had made 20 days into Lent up to this point, and she had done great until she was put in charge of the chocolate-covered strawberries. And she's taking strawberries out of one bowl, and she's dipping them in the chocolate, and she's putting them on the wax paper, and she's taking them out of the bowl, and she's dipping them in the chocolate, and she puts it on the wax paper until she decides, I need a sample of this. And so she dips it into the chocolate and puts it in her mouth. And in the split second it takes for her mouth to register, whoa, that is so good. Her conscience also registered, what about your Lent commitment? And she felt terrible. My daughter takes her vows very, very seriously, and so she walked over the trash and was about to throw it in and said, wait a minute, I'm not Catholic. Boom. <laughs> love that story. I love it even better that it's true. Almost all of us find it easier to define who we are not than who we are. Isn't that right? And if you struggle with that, you're here on a good Sunday. If this is your first Sunday with us, this is the last of our four-part series that I'm calling Shaped for Greatness. And we're taking a look at one of God's most difficult truths, I believe, for Christians to believe. And that is that my life can make a difference in somebody else's. We matter. The Bible says from beginning literally to the end, the Bible tries to get across to us. We matter. But whether we're nine or 92, we doubt that. Given our short list of talents and abilities and the long list of mistakes and failures and missed opportunities, we doubt that we could be a blessing to ourselves, let alone sometimes to anybody else and attach greatness to our lives. Come on. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian yet, it hurts me to say this, 
But we Christians are not very different from you in getting this truth. That we matter. We know better. But sometimes we don't live better. And we're trying to right that ship, all right? And so that's why this series of lessons. For the last three weeks we have seen we are not only loved by God. But we're created by God. We are no more accidents on this globe than these pots are accidents on this table. Some of you have been here the entire series, but probably most of you haven't. I'm gonna, raise your hands if you're visiting with us this morning. We've got lots of visitors here. Great. Now, I doubt if any one of you looking at this pot, even though you never saw it made, would say, that's an accident. No, you would believe with intentionality and with purpose that pot was created, and you would be right. Now, maybe I'm stating the obvious, but if you think that that's obvious, would you say that's obvious? Wow. Maybe we just need to try that again. If, if you think that was rather obvious, would you say that's obvious? Okay, okay. I just need to make sure we're tracking here because that is an essential truth. Even without the Bible to say God created the heavens and the earth, The most logical thing I believe you can think about this globe that we ride on is given its complexity and order and dependence on precision, this planet isn't an accident. And if you believe that, just read a couple of of paragraphs down and you'll realize God says you're not an accident either. First lesson, the Bible says we were formed for greatness. Number two, the Bible says you were fired for greatness. Just as time spent in extreme temperatures turned these pots from uselessness to usefulness, so also hardship and struggles and even tragedies in your life have strengthened you. God's own son was just as vulnerable when he came into this world. He didn't choose to be nursed and changed and to be taught. He had to be nursed and changed and taught. And just as useless as he was when he came into this world, just as useless as you were when you came into this world, both Jesus and you had to be fired. Interesting. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52 says, God in the flesh grew in wisdom and in stature in favor with God and with men. Hebrews chapter 15 and verse 8 says, He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Make no mistake about it. Jesus was formed like us and he was fired like us us and then last week we saw that jesus was broken like us our brokenness came because we were rebels we chose to live outside the will of god and we were broken for that our relationships were broken our bodies were broken our bank accounts were broken all because of ungodly unwise choices but jesus was broken as well Not because of ungodly choices, he was broken because of our choices that he took upon him. The punishment due us became his punishment at the cross. He took up our selfishness, he took up our pride, he took up our greed, our immorality, all of it that belonged to us, he took upon himself and it broke him. It broke him. After services, people were coming up to me and saying different things about the lesson, but One particular brother met me right over here in this middle aisle. And he was was on the verge of tears. And he was angry. And so I was prepared for just about anything to come out of his mouth. And with a little bit of sternness, he said, You broke that beautiful pot. 
you broke it. I mean, just like that. I didn't know if he was going to hit me or scold me. And he said, it was perfect. It was beautiful. And you broke it. And I said, well, can you imagine what the angels thought as they looked on? And it began to unfold what Jesus was going to have to do for you and me. Can you imagine their thoughts when in the garden he pleads with God, if there's another way out of this, could we choose plan B? And they're maybe thinking, okay, maybe the beloved one's not going to have to be broken after all. But what we saw last week in the scriptures is that he had to be broken. His sacrifice for our sin was the only place God's wrath could be poured out and the universe not melt. Immeasurable sin had to be poured out on infinite God. It's the only place that that sin debt could have been paid. Make no mistake about it. He had to be broken. He had to be forsaken because the consequences of sin is always death, even when they're placed on God in the flesh himself. But they call it Good Friday for a reason. He experienced your death because that meant you could have his righteousness. Hear God's word on this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin so that I might become his righteousness. You say, well, Jimmy, it still looked awful. When he was broken. You're right. But that was Friday. But this is Sunday. This is Sunday. And it's a different, different story. Let's read Mark 16, verse 1. Eyewitness account. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Solomon brought spices so that they might go to anoint the body of Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, what will we roll the stone away with? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white sitting on the right side of the stone and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go and tell his disciples, especially tell Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him, just as he told you. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him who were among the mourning and the weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they didn't believe it at first. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating, and he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe that those who had seen him after he had risen were telling the truth. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Eyewitness accounts. Would you pray with me? 
Father in heaven, thank you for being willing to send him. Thank you for allowing him to come and to be broken for us. But no sadness today. No sadness today. Celebration day. We thank you, Father, that um, not only did he come, not only was he broken, but through the power of your Holy Spirit, you made him alive again. Father, we, like the disciples, also have to confess that we tend to be unbelievers as much as we are believers. We understand how difficult it is to trust that you really could make something dead come alive. Please open our eyes to see you as you open the eyes of the disciples. And then send us, as you did them, to shine as lights in a dark place. Send us with the other parts of your body, like First Assembly, who's meeting today. Father, please bless the preaching of their word, the sharing of the table in their location. And God, we are asking you to forgive us for contributing to the darkness in our world because of the lack of your body's unity. Please make us one so that together we might be an even brighter light together than we could be on our own through the one who is the light of the world. Through the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We give you thanks and glory. And everyone said, Amen. He was broken. He didn't stay broken. He didn't stay broken. However, as much as we would like to think that the disciples would be thrilled to hear that he was alive, I'm telling you, not all of them were. When your world has been wrecked, and you've experienced true darkness, sometimes someone turning the light on hurts a little bit more than it helps at first. Some of you have been in some serious, serious darkness, very much like the disciples. Everything that you had hoped and dreamed with Jesus in it and what it was going to mean for your life came crashing down around some ugly in your life. That picture of what your life would be with him was shattered. What you thought he would be like and what it would be like that you had prayed for and wished for and hoped for, it was nothing like that. And it's you that I want to talk to most on this particular Easter Sunday. Because one of the twelve had his world absolutely rocked so hard that hearing that Jesus was alive was not enough. We know his name is Thomas. In John chapter 20, the scriptures, they don't tell us why, but in the very first appearance of the Lord to the disciples, Thomas is not there. Running an errand? We don't know. Didn't want to be with a bunch of the guys? He just needed to be alone? We don't know. All the Bible says is that when the Lord first appeared, he appears to the ten. And Thomas isn't there. Oh, but when he gets back, they can't help but, but tell him, you should have been here. We saw him. He's alive. We, we saw the scars. We, we saw the, the, the side where he was pierced. I'm telling you, it's incredible. But Thomas can't see. He can't see. Because when the Lord was crucified, I'm telling you, in his world, it was lights out. Lights out. And for some of you, when the doctor walked into your waiting room and said, I'm sorry, it's cancer, you understand that type of lights out. You understand the darkness. 
and you found out that your daughter had been killed by a drunk driver, you've never known darkness like this. When a deacon in the church made a play for you, You've never known darkness like that. We're not talking about just being disappointed because something didn't work out like we'd hoped. We're talking about having our world destroyed. Destroyed. And Thomas hears the good news from these disciples and he says, I'm telling you the truth unless I see him and put my finger in his hand and my hand in his side. I cannot make anything good come out of this. There's no way. There's no way. The Bible says eight days later. Eight days later. Jesus appears in a room. The doors are locked. The disciples are doing whatever the disciples are doing. And he walks in the room. And he says something in that living room that he had shared on a lake a couple of years back. The same words quieted a doubt storm then, and he hoped that they would quiet the doubt storm now. He said these words, peace. Peace be with you. And then he walked over to Thomas. He said, Thomas, I need for you to take your hand. And I need for you to place it in mine so that you can see. I need to take your hand and put it in the side where the soldier pierced it. Because I need for you to see and stop doubting and believe. And I'm telling you, church, the Bible says the only response that Thomas gave was my Lord, my God. And his world got a little brighter. His world got a little brighter. Now can I remind you that those scars that he allowed Thomas to touch were not his doing. It was his gift to us, but it was because of our rebellious choices that those scars ever even appeared on Jesus. God touches those wounds, and they become a scar. And you know, at first, they kind of bugged me. Because I thought, if, if there is a Savior who can handle crippled legs, all of a sudden being able to run... If there's a Savior who can handle blind eyes being able to see, what in the world are scars doing on that body that's brand new? Why are they there? I believe to help those who are struggling in the darkness of doubt to believe again. I believe it with all my heart. Because I've seen what the light of someone's scars can do in the darkness of someone's doubt. And that's why Jesus, listen to me clearly, church, would like to have your scars. Your scars. And we have them. Both outside and in. Let me ask for your help here. If you happen to have a, a, a scar, a literally a visible scar that's on one of your limbs, one of your arms or legs, would you raise your hand? Okay. 
If you happen to have a scar that's on your torso, now we don't want to see this one, all right? But if you have a scar, whether it be open heart surgery or maybe just a little appendectomy, would you now raise your hand? Now, if you've got a scar on your face, maybe it's a small one we haven't seen, but you know it's there. I've already seen some folks touching some other people. Hey, you better raise your hand. If you've got a scar on your face, would you raise your hand? Wow, we got a bunch of scarred people here. I've got a scar. It's on one of my legs that I think I could win the ugliest scar contest in the room. Serious. Not just because of what it looks like visually on the outside, but because of the faith that it stole from me on the inside. Fifteen and a half years old. And I was driving my dad's work van. His um, storage unit was somewhere just outside of San Antonio. We lived in New Braunfels. And I was driving home. I begged my dad, please let me drive, please let me drive. And he did. And right about the hemisphere, that big five, six, seven, eight lane, I don't know how large the highway is there. I was in the far left lane. I needed to be in the right lane. And I started to change lanes. And out of my blind spot came a little MG. We just loaded that work van with two tons of butcher supplies, saw blades, knives, you name it. They were all in there. And when I went to correct the obvious accident that was about to take place, a weird thing happened. I didn't swerve. I started rocking. And it tore the sidewalls out of the tires. And in a heartbeat, I went into one of those directional signs, you know, Austin turn here, Houston turn here. I ran right into one of the poles that supports one of those signs, and it came up into my face, the engine. I woke up, and they were literally cutting me out of the engine. Sparks were flying everywhere. The carburetor was hissing in my face. I separated my pelvis. I broke my right wrist. But the worst injury happened to my left leg just below the knee. The parking brake was driven into my leg and into the seat. They had to literally cut off the parking brake so that I could be taken to the hospital to have it removed later. It was a horrific injury. And it hurt me outside. But I'm telling you, it hurt me inside because with that injury, washed away every hopes that I had of playing tennis on some other college's dollar. It's a pretty decent tennis player as a junior in high school in New Braunfels. Big plans for my senior year and then on into college. It didn't happen. Played a little bit of tennis for TSU my freshman year, trying to get on, get, maybe get redshirted. Didn't happen. Could play doubles well. Couldn't play singles. And I sold my rackets. It was tough to watch my roommate, my best friend, get redshirted that year. And I didn't. And before the accident, he never won a set. I'm not talking match. Never won a set from me. And he got Richard. And I'm telling you, it broke me. And one day during one of my best pity parties, a cappella was singing, He came to my rescue. He came to my rescue. And God did. You see, a husband and wife who saw the accident take place, just so happened to be a husband and nurse team. And they came up to the accident when it unfolded in front of them. They saw they couldn't put an IV in my arms because it was covered with engines. So they inserted an IV here just 
below my collarbone. They saw that I was in shock and they were afraid that I would die. And the doctor said most likely I would have if I hadn't gotten the IV. We did our best to try to get in contact with that husband and wife through newspaper, through radio. Never heard from them again. And God reminded me, Jimmy, I gave you your life back. Come on, son, let's live it. In one song, he came to my rescue. My brother Bobby bought my rackets back. And I started playing a little bit of tennis, but not competitively, because God changed my life that day. He helped me see that I could use your serve in an entirely different role. And he has ever since then. And God could. He can take the wounds and he can touch them in a way that nobody else can touch them. And now when I look at that leg, I'm telling you, I don't think of what I lost. I'm telling you, I think of all that I got. All that I've received since my life changed on that day. And when people ask me about it, I'm telling you, when I get to tell them about that scar, it seems like the world gets a little brighter. Just a little bit. Jesus does great things with scars, church. Some of you have scars that you can't see on the outside. The first Sunday before Mark Jackson took the stage here three weeks ago, a brother was sitting at the back back here. I'm going to let him remain anonymous as well. He said, I got a problem with those pots you got up there. We hadn't even started the series and already got a problem with the lesson, all right? I said, what's the problem? He says, they're too perfect. They're flawless. There's no blemishes up there. They don't fit in here. I said, ah, I said, you don't know what's on the inside. We're pretty good around here at hiding what's on the inside. And we are, aren't we, church? Do you have scars that are on the inside? That we can't see on the outside. Growing up in a house short on encouragement and long on abuse. Some of you are still dealing with that wound. Still trying to find your way through your parents splitting up. Even though that was years ago. Some of you are still having to deal with that wound. Not being able to have children on your own. Maybe you had them, you just couldn't carry them to term. You're still having to deal with that wound. There is no scar on the outside for any of those things. Only on the inside. We can't see the betrayal. We can't see the shame. We can't see the sexual abuse. But it's there the same. They say that time heals all wounds. Can I go on record? That is a lie. I know 90-year-old people who have been carrying around wounds for 60, 70, 80 years. They've been carrying wounds for decades, and they are not well. Jesus Christ can handle a wound. He's the only one that I know of that can heal one perfectly. And he wants to take your scars, friend, if you'll bring them, if you'll bring your wounds. He wants to take your wounds and turn them into a sacred scars, but you've got to bring them to him. And if you do, I'm telling you, the world will become a little bit brighter. Just a little bit. I think maybe, just maybe, if someone who wore the title Christian, who wore the title 
Jesus follower had stepped into that 90-year-old person who had been carrying around that wound, just maybe if they could have seen their scars, if just maybe they could have seen their wounds, heard how Jesus touched that wound and turned it into a scar, maybe they wouldn't have walked around with them for 90-some-odd years. Instead of just being satisfied, church, with singing about scars, instead of just studying about scars, what do you say we show the world our scars? What do you say? Well, not much. Because we don't show our scars well. We don't. Somebody may laugh. Somebody may not take me seriously. Somebody may tell somebody else about the wound, not talk about the scar part. We don't do scars very well. Outside this morning, when we walked in here at 7 o'clock, it was dark. But light came. And the darkness was gone. Slowly but surely, I'm telling you, the darkness just left. It was amazing. The timing of it all couldn't have been perfect. Couldn't have been more perfect. It was powerful. And you know what made the difference to the darkness? Light. It wasn't just that on on an Easter Sunday, light came into the world so that that we could ooh and ah over God, bringing life back into Jesus' body. Remember the scripture from Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. That light was to serve as a billboard proclamation. If I can do that with him, I can do the same with you. I I can take his wounds and turn them into faith-filling scars. I can do the same with you if you just let me. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, one of the most powerful passages of Scripture I believe the Apostle Paul ever writes is this, but if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of His righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit that lives in you. Friend, if you're not a Christ follower, I know we Christians have done a pitiful job of believing that truth and living that truth sometimes. But we're trying. And even though we may not make the best of examples that you've seen so far, we're trying. But what I just read to you is still the truth. Whether we live it or not, it's still the truth. The same light that beamed into that dark tomb wants to beam inside you and turn every wound you have into a sacred scar if you'll let him. He can heal those wounds. No matter what it is that you walked into this place with, no matter how much darkness surrounds your life, he can heal those wounds. Darkness like a spouse who puts divorce papers on your table. Darkness like trying to escape from the dungeon of depression and failing month after month and year after year. Darkness like the shame of unemployment that's rocked your world. Darkness like the powerlessness of overcoming an addiction. God is not settling on making His scars good news. He wants to make your scars good news. 2 Corinthians 5.17, last scripture for the day. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Now when you hear that, don't think flawless. Look at the pot. Look at the Christ. 
He comes out a brand new creation, but he's got some brokenness still kind of on him. Those scars are there. The blemishes are there. Flawless, no. Powerful, yes. And that's what he'll do with you. For anyone who's in Christ, we are new creations. We get to keep the scars. We get to keep the blemishes. Oh, but what a pot. Oh, but what a pot. Look at you. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's some pot you have. Oh, don't be ugly with that. Remember the verse we started all this with? It was great. We're earthen vessels. We're just clay pots. But that's not what makes us great. What's inside us is what makes us great. We were shaped. We were formed. We were fired. And we were restored for His greatness. Come on and shine. Come on and light up the world with me, all right? You know, when we, we got here yesterday afternoon, it was a fit to try to get the, the light out of here. It was. We worked hard to cover. We, we worked hard to pace. We were here about two or three hours. But I'm telling you, that's not the greatest challenge. The challenge is to get the light out of here. But if we'll go, if we'll take our scars, and in, in those moments when we're having a cup of coffee with a coworker, or sitting on the back of a pickup with a hunting buddy, or handing a tissue to someone who's just lost their second child through miscarriage. And if we'll just risk showing them one of our scars to help them understand, God can heal this. I know because he got me through this. If our community groups are anything, it's got to be a place where it's safe enough to show our scars. And I'll tell you what the world is looking for, a church where they can show their scars. But first, they need to bring their wounds. Can they bring them here? They'll feel like they can if you don't mind sharing your scars. So can I encourage you? Reach for the scars. Reach for the scars. Father in heaven, we beg you for help to do that. There are people right here today, you are delivering from addiction. You are helping out of the pit of depression. You are helping to overcome sexual abuse in their life. You are helping them. They wrecked their first shot at marriage, but this second one's it's going great. They've learned so much. Will you help loosen their lips? Will you help them be vulnerable and share those scars with someone who's not doing so well for the moment? Please help us not leave here today ooing and aahing over the scars of our Savior. Help us leave here today believing our scars can matter to some doubting Thomas somewhere who needs to touch them and to see that your resurrection power is real. Father, we come to worship you, but we also ask you, send us out. Make us shine. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please stand. If you've got a wound this morning, and you hearing the truth of God's word has encouraged you, he can do something about that. We're going to have some shepherds at the back. I'm going to be here up at the front. Could we have the privilege of speaking the name of Christ over that wound? Could we have the privilege 
of taking the one who is no longer dead in the tomb but alive sitting at the right hand of God. Can we speak that name over that wound? God has a deal for you. You bring me the wounds, I'll give you the healing. Amen. You got to bring in the wounds though. If for the first time this morning you want to say yes to Jesus Christ, I can't think of a better day to be baptized on. <laughs> if you're ready to say, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own, I want to do it his way, he couldn't wait for you to get there. Mm-hmm. And if you're there, we're going to take you there. Behind the pots, all right? And we're going to see you experience the only death that will matter in this life at all and see you raised to walk in the newness of life. Light of the world stepped out into darkness. Can he step into yours? And then the second question is, can he shine through yours? Let's pray.